Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, as we continue this season and talk to young leaders in our industry, I'm really excited for you to hear today's conversation. So today we're talking with Patrick Ryan, and I met him really over Zoom about two years ago or so, and then we met in person when Grant and I came to visit his family's business. And you know, as we as we go through it today, as Patrick will tell you, he has not been in the industry for that long, despite being part of a three generation business. And I think that his journey has uniquely set him up just to be able to help in in new ways. You know, Patrick's parents have done an amazing job building their business from the ground up. And as he has come in, I think that together they have really been able to overcome some obstacles that many companies are not able to overcome. And so as we get into this conversation, we, we talk about a lot of things. We, we talk about the idea of imperfection and how it's okay to deal with imperfection. And anytime you're making something better, that has to be part of the, part of the process. And we honestly spent some time talking about data. And it was funny, I did not expect the conversation to go this way. But I think that what he mentions in regards to data and keeping things streamlined and organized is really, really important. And so, you know, I have some more thoughts that I'll share on the back end. But as you listen to this, you know, I want you to hear the mindset and the heart behind what he's trying to do. I think it's really, really important that that there's a there's a distinct mindset here that says we are are going to find a better way. We know who we're serving and there's a better way to do it. And so with that, I'm going to get out of the way and let you hear this conversation. I think you're going to get a ton of value out of it and I'll give you some thoughts on the other side. Joining me from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania is the purchaser at the Stowe Shop. I'm here today with Patrick Ryan. Patrick, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me. Honored to be on a podcast that I've listened to for so long. Oh, man. Well, that means a lot. And yeah, I've been really excited for this conversation, too. You know, just kind of going back on on how we connected. I, I've known your parents for a long time, for years. And we were getting ready to go out and visit your business a couple years back. And as, as part of the prep work, Grant and myself had some Zoom calls with some of the different team members. We were talking with your parents about kind of who did what in the company just so that we had a good understanding of it. And we felt like, you know, there was kind of a missing piece and there was like an X factor that we just, we didn't know how it would get filled. And that was one of our biggest questions heading into the trip. All that to say is we had these Zoom calls with you as part of this prep and we felt like, man, I think that Patrick might be this X factor. And when we, when we left that trip, we felt like there was no question that, you know, your, your parents' business had everything in place because, because you were that X factor, the glue person that was able to, to do, you know, what no one else could. So anyway, that's my background on getting to know you. And, and I'm excited today to kind of just talk to you as a young leader in the industry, but yeah, it was just kind of funny how we met. I mean, I think you've always been that 
X factor for the hearth industry in some ways you're, you know, you're talking about that idea, uh, pushing people forward to change, you know, implementing best practices or even just reading like business books and inspiration, you know, motivation, leadership, and learning to translate those things um, to owners. I think your ability to maintain calmness in the face of uh, an industry that is pretty archaic when it comes to um, a lot of the SOPs, the standard operating procedures and processes that we use, um, you've really helped to kind of push that forward. So, I, I mean, thank goodness that we have somebody that's actually reading business books and then like <laughs> bringing it over, you know? Oh, thanks, man. So jumping into this conversation, you know, I want to talk to you as just an up and coming leader in the industry. And, and I want to kind of have people understand like the obstacles that you faced, but also kind of the innovation that, that you are bringing to the table, but maybe to start out, you know, you're coming into this as the third generation of the business. Now your parents are still actively involved in the business, so you're not the business owner, but you are the third generation. And I remember even at the time that we were coming out, there was questions to, you know, did you want to be in this industry? You were kind of just dipping your toe in the water at that time, having never really worked in the business before. So I guess you you didn't set out to do this, did you? No, my family has always been entrepreneurial. Uh, my mom owned her own business as well before she got involved with the stove shop. Uh, so as a kid, I was always interested in doing my own thing. Um, and my parents really taught me the value of ownership and putting in hard work to, to build a business. I mean, as a kid, I remember my parents encouraging me to do things like lemonade stands. Um, so I think at a very early age, I wanted to make money for myself and do it on my own um, because I saw value in building something on my own. And uh, I did that for quite a while with, with software. So learned to um, work and build products for other companies uh, and saw myself as a, you know, I was a project manager building software um, for primarily YouTube corporations. So uh, totally separate from the hearth industry um, and found my own way until I realized that, man, what are my parents going to do? You know, how are they going to move forward? Uh, and started asking myself the question, well, do I want to get back in, into the stove shop? Do I want to be a part of the hearth industry? Uh, and didn't really see a path back because I saw a lot of older systems and, and felt like maybe I wouldn't be able to bring the change necessary to actually make a difference. Um, and the shift that I saw was that my parents were willing to put the time and effort in to learn how to change their business. So they were willing to sit and listen to your podcast. They were willing to ask questions and make changes and spend money and time on their business to make it better. And I think that at its core, as I've reflected, you know, and tried to kind of prepare for our conversation here, that's been the thing that I've gone back to is that the owner, in this case, my dad, uh, needs to be able to put in the time and have, have the motivation to put in the time. And that's the thing that, that caused me to want to be a part of the business is that it was, I saw that there was, there was effort being put in to actually change the business. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And, and that, you know, I know your parents are both, you know, very, very humble when, when, you know, I've been working with them and stuff, there's been, you know, very little pretense when it comes to what we're going to do. And it's really just like, let's just, let's look for the best idea and, and try to have that win. Um, for you coming in. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I mean, you, you weren't doing this full time a couple of years ago, right? I mean, aren't you only 
year, year and a half. This is my second year in the hearth industry as a full-time employee for a long time. I was a part of it, but not officially. Yeah. And that, that blows my mind because just in the interaction that we've had, and I've seen you taking so much ground in the business, it, it amazes me that, yeah, I mean, even a couple of years ago, you, you weren't in it full time. Can you give a rundown and kind of like your responsibilities? So they were very different when I started. And I think that that is kind of an important thing to remember is that when you start with any of these changes, imperfection is abound. It's going to be most of it will be wrong. Um, and you'll feel at least I felt like I wasn't making a lot of progress at first. Um, And slowly but surely, as I took the meat off of the bone, I found that there was room for me to help with the warehouse and purchasing uh, and maintaining inventory levels as we face supply chain challenges uh, and availability issues with with all units and service parts and everything else. Having somebody dedicated to, to that area of the business was something that we didn't have. We'd never really put any interest into, and it was becoming more and more required. Um, so that's where I saw an opportunity. I think very basically tracking data and and trying to find the information necessary to make those changes has been one of the largest challenges. Standardization across the industry in forms of the way that data is presented on a spreadsheet, which I know sounds boring, um, but there is just no standard uh, when it comes to how manufacturers and distributors provide information to retailers. It's very yeah. um, uh, difficult to yep. succeed as a retailer if you want to maintain your hearth business as this kind of future-proofed thing, right? Like if we want to start selling stuff online and have um, information available, we need that in the form of a spreadsheet that's not yep. formatted, you know, beyond the ability for a computer to recognize it and put it into our systems. Um, so I find that that's a big issue: is that the usability of data um, and standards within the industry are are pretty poor. Um, things like really good pictures of products and being able to show customers what what different fronts look like and what the colors look like is something that I think we're really missing out on. Um, and I, I hope that the industry can look at things like other industries and see the standards that they've built. Um, and I think that we can do that. It's all, these are all simple changes that I think can be made and are possible. Um, and that's kind of what's kept me going is that really the industry is teeming with opportunity. Uh, we're in a better position than we've ever been. And I see simple changes leading to incredible results. I don't think that we need to have a massive overhaul. There's not like, this this big shift that could occur that would bring us a bunch more business and make everybody a lot more money. I think the the path to doing that and to being successful is simple change, you know, slowly and be comfortable with imperfection and let yeah. it implement over a year or two years. So I think you got to be patient um, if you want to do these things. It doesn't, it can't happen overnight. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you say that because, and I, and I want to circle back to your day-to-day duties, but like literally this morning, I've been working on importing a manufacturer's spreadsheet into Wi-Fire so that we can, you know, help people present options and bids. And I was literally telling the other person that's doing the data entry with me, I'm like, this is a mess. There is no rhyme or reason for how things are presented. There's no sense of universal categories. And even when you start looking into like how things are titled, there's like, there's, there's, it's, it's a disaster. And, and I found this as, you know, we've got, I think we've got like 32 manufacturers loaded into Wi-Fi now. And as we go through, it's true that like, 
half of the units and decorative fronts, there's no pictures of. And it's like, oh, so, you know, this decorative front comes in four colors, but you only show a picture of one color? That's kind of weird. You know, like if I'm going to buy a car, they don't show me like a like a little sample color of what the car looks like. There's a picture of the car. And, and, and I think it's just, there's so many things here with like, even general terminology, you know, some people call it a decorative front. Some call it a safety screen. Some call it a facade. You know, there's no sense of basic categorization, which makes it, you know, it makes it hard for, for data entry like we're talking about, but also makes it hard just to, just to teach. So it's interesting you say that, but it makes sense coming in from a software background that that you really notice those things. I've never had somebody say, say that to me before, but literally I was living and breathing that earlier this morning. It's striking. Um, and the, the thing that I find to be encouraging is that there are companies that are kind of setting the standard. Like I look at HHT as kind of the, the standard bearer. Oh, dude, they're, they're a machine. They're right. so it's, clean and so tight. I, I have to, I have to, you know, to, to say the whole industry doesn't have it together is, is untrue. I find that it's at the distributor level that I'm the most surprised. Um, and, mm. and maybe I'm off base. The, the thing that I think they could provide in terms of value because maybe they don't have product available at the very least, maybe provide us with well-formatted spreadsheets. Um, because I think that is like an actual service. Like I may be more likely to buy from somebody if they're making it easy for me to do so. Um, oh, I agree. I mean, very often the company with the easiest price book to navigate is the one that you purchase from. There's no question about that. Certainly. Um, I, I want to circle back, Patrick, because we, we got off a little bit. Can you talk about kind of your day-to-day duties? You, you talked about how when you started at the company, it was something different and that, and that, yeah, I want to talk about your day-to-day duties. Mm-hmm. Purchasing is kind of the the general uh, title, uh, but it's more of an operational position. So uh, managing the inventory levels is kind of a part of that. Uh, I'm finding that just general business skills are really, really useful. And having come from going, thankfully, you know, for my parents sending me to to, to college to learn some very basic business skills, uh, I've been in, able to incorporate those. So heartbeat report, big one. You and Grant brought that to, to the table for us. It's been life-changing. Um, but in its version that you provided, it was for what you guys know and what your business, you know, the, the experiences that you have. And I think that initially when I saw that, my, my reaction was, oh, wow, we won't use this, 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 and this, right? Uh, and the, the first thing I jumped to was, well, this is imperfect. And over time, by tracking it and using it and changing it, and actively doing it every week and being comfortable with the imperfection, um, that's been a core of, of what I'm doing is filling out the heartbeat report weekly uh, and, and kind of translating all of the data from each part of the business into one, you know, just a one sheet, easily readable. We can take all the data over the course of the whole year and plot it out. Um, and then I'm giving that information to everybody. So, I mean, uh, making sure that the business is transparent. Um, and that the employees know what's going on and when things are available um, and where inventory is. So communication has been a big part of it. Documenting standard procedures, writing stuff down, actually creating those documents and putting them on paper. Um, A lot of stuff gets talked about. Things get changed on the fly. Customers angry. We make a change to our policies, but we never document it. Um, and so that's a, been a big part of it is just actually writing stuff down and being the person that's kind of taking responsibility for that. Um, yeah. Those are some of the kind of like daily things that I'm doing. Um, the one that I'm maybe the most excited about or the most proud of is our move from a very old software to 
a new ERP, a new uh, enterprise resource planning software, which I know is a mouthful. Um, <laughs> and I'm very excited about the, the prospect of incorporating, again, more standardization into uh, our business and using that to, uh, to kind of improve things like our margins, right? Like if, if we're buying a bunch of product and Duravent's going to increase their price on August 1st, and you know you're going to sell 50 gas inserts over the course of a year, buy the venting kits and hold them. That's free yep. money. Um, yep. You know, like it's just free money. I, it, to me, it seems like we're just not like, I mean, maybe maybe everyone else is doing this and I just think we're the only ones. Um, but like planning out your buys, actually paying attention to like unit availability uh, and and buying stuff for a whole year, right? And, yeah. and, and maybe not holding it, but having it planned out um, has been a really fun project. That's so awesome. And, and I think for me, you know, the first couple of businesses that I worked for in the industry, we didn't have a purchaser. It was just when you sell it, you fax in the PO and that was that, you know. And when I when I came to my first company that did have a purchaser, to me, it was actually really hard at first because it made me mad that we didn't just immediately order it when I sold it. Oh, and it oh that made was me so mad. much pushback. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it, it made me mad that that if if the if the purchaser had gone home for the day and it was 4:45 at night and the distributor closed at 5 I could not call and say hey can this customer just drive by and we'll call it tomorrow from you guys you know and I looked at that as like this is hurting our customer but in the situations where we didn't have a dedicated purchaser it was a mess like not only did we leave all kinds of money on the table but when you've got a million different POs with no person tracking any of it actively it doesn't serve your customer and it's it's a slow as fast thing where it's better to you know purchase intentionally and and a little bit slowly compared to just like the herky-jerky i sold it let's fax it in but that's ultimately how you serve your customer and i would say you know there's there's many companies that have not taken the leap on a full-time purchaser but once your business reaches a certain level like you're saying i mean a purchaser will find money for you I mean, and the purchaser isn't only doing purchasing, I think in terms of it, every business is different. And I mean, we didn't have one until, you know, Grant and Tim came out to the stove shop and helped us formulate our business and figure out a way to make that happen. So uh, it wasn't immediately obvious to me either. Um, you know, that that's, it seemed like a bit excessive, like what, who purchased, why would we need that? We're a you know, business of 12 people. It doesn't seem like something we need. Um, but as, as I've done it, um, it has, especially with availability being a concern in the industry right yeah. now, the ability to tell a customer, we can reserve this unit for you. And this is definitely when it's coming in uh, is huge. And I think it just adds a tremendous amount of confidence. And for the sales team in particular, they have a spreadsheet that they're working from where they know exactly what data it's coming yeah. in, what PO it's on. They can put their customer's name on it. So we've been moving slowly, right? Doing purchasing things and the sales guys are upset because it doesn't get ordered that day. But on the flip side, you can go on a spreadsheet and claim a discovery one that's coming in in August and you can't order those until December now. So, I mean, yeah. they're happy. You know what I mean? They're happy because they're like, oh, wait, we have stuff coming in just already. That's that's yeah. a huge advantage. Um, and I think that that's kind of what we've tried to translate in, into the into the business. It's a small change. You don't have to do that much. Um, but if you invest in it and if the ownership is willing to invest in it, really, yeah. um, that's, that's where um, there can be a lot of money made, I, I, I think. That's great. I wasn't thinking about this, you know, when we initially started this conversation, but I kind of want to go here now. You've you've mentioned a couple times this idea of being okay with things in an imperfect state, and I, you know, I I think that that is honestly the key 
to, you know, growing in, in business, nothing is perfect out of the gate. And I, and I love the example of the heartbeat report about the consistency of doing it allowed you over time to make the changes needed to just make it better and better and better for your business. Maybe, maybe you can just talk about like, whatever the initiative is, why do you have to go through that imperfection before it can become good? Cause it takes a long time to see the holes in the boat. Um, I think like you don't really, at least at first, I didn't know how the heartbeat report could be best used for us. And until I did it and I saw what I didn't want, uh, it was hard for me to figure out what I did want. Um, and it, I mean, truly it took me about six months of doing a heartbeat report that I was filling out a fifth of maybe on a good day. Um, and I was comfortable with that because it was a process. I'm getting used to it. And every time I do it, I'm getting a little bit closer to my goal. Now, I mean, after a year and a half, I mean, it is completely different. I mean, if, I bet you if I showed it to you, you'd be like, that's not, there's there's a couple of things that are from the original heartbeat report. And it may not be even that different. It's just the way the language reads. It's where sure. you find the information. Um, it's who you're working with to get that information, right? If you're trying to figure out how much money you made over the course of a week, where do you go? Right. Like, yeah. and that's just, you have to build the, I had to build those habits for, for myself too. Right. Like, where do I look for this info? Um, I think when things are imperfect, it allows for us to see better versions of what that could be. Um, and if we're always striving for, for perfection or we're not doing something because it's not perfect yet, yeah. um, it's certainly never going to get there um, because we have to kind of go through that molting phase to, to kind of get to that eventual final form, um, whatever we're going to look like. I think that's really profound because um, so often we want it to be perfect and it's easy to be an armchair quarterback and just pick apart every idea because it doesn't meet, you know, your version of perfection. But at the end of the day, you can't steer a parked car and by whether it's a heartbeat report or whatever initiative you're talking about, you know, taking weekly inventory or, you know, whatever it is by doing it week after week, what I've found is that that starts to weed out the problems, just the forward motion and momentum starts to clear away a lot of the dross and you'll learn things and, and make small micro changes that overall do change the trajectory that you never would have found if you waited for it to be perfect. And, you know, I, I, I keep thinking like you got to do it messy before you do it good. And, mm -hmm. and the messiness sucks. I hate it. It's not right, but it's what has to happen. You know, it's like, you know, kids don't just learn to run there's a lot of messiness and like learning to crawl and then walk and fall over. And, but that's just the nature of the process. Like if you want to run, you got to do it. And there's space, right? Like you're creating space for yourself in that imperfection. It's an opportunity. Like I, you were saying, maybe you dislike that state. I mean, to me it's permanent because I'll never get to where I really want to go. Right. There's always a better version. And I think that's part of it is changing my vision over time for what it can be. The, my vision of the stove shop when I first started there was very different than even three months in. And it's certainly very different than it is now. You know, it, like it is, I, I have, I have a night and day uh, different lens that I am looking through the business um, before it was like, I want to help my parents you know, uh, this is maybe not necessarily what I want to do, but I'm, I'm going to put my best foot forward and, and, you know, use my skills to make the business better. Um, now where I'm sitting is that I am eternally grateful for the opportunity that my parents have afforded me. And I use that as a springboard to work through any of the stagnation or the frustration, because I find that by viewing 
them through the most grateful lens possible, it allows for way more opportunity and fun. You know, life's not forever. I think we're yep. supposed to enjoy our work. I think our work is supposed to be fun. Yep. Our employees laugh now more than ever. And that to me is a metric of success. And yeah. it's because of the effort that they've put in. And I prioritize that over everything. To me, the yeah. happiness of our employees and, and of the people working is number one. And I know some people, you know, put customer number one. For us, it's we care about the people that are working for us. And that will create a wonderful product. Yeah, that's so good. We'll get back to our conversation with Patrick Ryan in just one second. Hey, if you're listening to this and thinking, my goodness, how do I streamline the different areas of my business that Patrick's talking about? Purchasing, sales, inventory. You know, it all starts with you making time. And for many companies, they can't make time to do what's important because they're stuck answering every question and making every sale. Well, if you want to train your team to work with you on the sales floor, you've got to take advantage of Wi-Fi. So Wi-Fi is a software system that will help you write up lightning fast estimates quickly and accurately. And right now we are outfitting showrooms with QR codes. Imagine having a QR code on every single display of your showroom that customers can scan to get bids. Now these bids always come in price ranges and they're accurate to the customer space. The best part is that every single time it happens, you get a name and an email address and the ability to follow up with this customer. If you've been banging your head against the wall trying to figure out how do I train a sales team, you gotta take advantage of Wi-Fi. You can do that by going to wifire.com. That's W-H-Y-F-I-R-E.com. I wanted to talk about your parents. You know, I mean, I think about your parents a lot and and truly like your parents were a major inspiration for the Firetime Journal and they've laid this foundation that, you know, is is incredible for for you to now have an opportunity in and the rest of the team. What would you say is the biggest difference in thought process between the new generation and like the founders generation, whether that was your parents or your grandparents, what what is the biggest difference in thought process? Well, so from what I know about my pop who started the business, he was, he had excellent business acumen and he handled that. Um, my dad took over and was an installer and did all of the, he knows the product better than anybody that I know. Um, and, and he has product knowledge. He can do installations. He does it all. He's an every man. He empties the trash too. Um, and so, the 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 biggest difference that I see is that um, my dad's generation, the baby boomer generation, works in the business, not on mm-hmm. the business. Um, and I think that it was required to do that. And I think there's a lot of shaming around the idea of working yep. in and on, or at least maybe there's, there's yeah. perceived shame that it's like, man, I feel badly that I'm working in the business. You shouldn't. Uh, you needed to do that yep. for it to be real. And, you know, my dad's done the work. He's built the business. It exists. Uh, he worked in it and now someone needs to work on it. And I think that that's the opportunity that I have is that I'm good at working on the business. I'm good at building processes and procedures. I'm good at the business stuff. Um, and that's, I think what maybe us, us folks in the what millennial generation have to offer you, uh, is that we're good at that stuff and we're happy to do it. But I think part of the issue is the lack of trust, Uh, or maybe the imperfections that we've talked about, these systems take time to roll out um, and it's hard to build confidence um, if it doesn't go right, right away, right? Like you're going to find somebody feeling 
pretty upset if they just gave you a bunch of money to build them a system and then yeah. it's not working. Yeah, you know, I've never been a fan of the language in the business versus on the business, kind of just for that reason that I feel like there's always this shaming of, you know, well, you're in the business too much. You got to start, start working on it. And it's like, I mean, I don't know what that means. Like, cause to some degree, like everything's in the business, you know, I, you know, there is a sense of, of urgent work that, you know, has to be done now or feels like it has to be done now versus strategic work. But I think that, that all of that said, it, it is obvious that there's, there's these different skill sets. And, you know, when I, when I think about starting a business, like you said, you have to grow it by the sweat of your brow at first. Like I think about that with Wi-Fi, like for me at Wi-Fi, like we are pulling this thing up, you know, by its bootstraps because we have a small team and it's not an established business. And, and, you know, if in 15 years, we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers. We've got partnerships with manufacturers and distributors. We, you know, we've got a real consistent, solid, uh, profitable book of business. Well, all of a sudden, the mentality changes where we're not quite scrapping the same way. Instead, we're, we're going to be doing things differently. But you know, I, I think that, that it's easy to fault that founding generation for, quote, like, working too hard or not getting out of their own way. And, you know, and, and those things can be true. Like we have all got blind spots, but, but I think that that, like you said, that's what has to happen to get the business to the spot where someone like you who doesn't know how to install a wood insert can come in and be a valuable player. And I think that that's one of the things too, that we really need to realize if you're you know part of the founding generation, I really believe that industry knowledge means a lot less than we think. Now, it's not that you don't need it, but it's that not everyone in the company needs it. And so often, we put a massive burden, whether it's on a salesperson or a scheduler or a service coordinator to you know, know as much as your lead installer does. And of course, you're not going to have that happen, or you put the burden on them to know everything that you know. But in reality, by documenting our processes and by kind of just thinking a little bit differently about the different positions in our company... I think that that there's less industry knowledge required in many of the positions that we think have to have it. I mean, that's probably true across any industry, but I, I'd venture to guess that like if you work at a car dealership and you're answering phones and doing scheduling, like you probably don't know. I mean, maybe you do, but like I don't think you're required to know a lot about cars. Uh, and I, I mean, you've seen you know, plenty of instances with giant corporations hiring presidents from one line of, of interest to another. I mean, it, the, the skill set isn't knowing the product, it's, it's being the president, right? Um, and so I, I would guess that that's true in any business. I think it's tough with a small business because you don't usually have the resources to dedicate to, to doing that, right? You think to yourself, well, I've got to react to everything and I've got to keep making money um, but when you pull back and realize like, okay, it's actually a couple hours a week and it's really not that much money, you know, like once you start looking at the meta narrative of the whole thing, it's, it's okay. It's really not that much money, but because we're not used to it and it seems weird and it's just not normal, um, it's scary, right? Like that's the same thing you talked about, about not ordering products right away as soon as you sell a thing. I ran into that as the purchaser and I've had to kind of retrain the sales team to, to teach them, hey, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. And by doing this, you're guaranteeing that the customer gets it. Okay. By being patient, and waiting 10 hours before I order something, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. By the way, no one's house is burning down. Uh, the level of severity and intensity that we handle the, the, the hearth industry with is a bit odd to me. Um, we Did you kill anyone? Did you burn anything down? No. Okay, so... <laughs> 
that's the end of being like freaking out. Okay. Let's have a good time. Let's enjoy ourselves. This is work. It's okay. We'll get through it. Just, you know, let's not take it all personally and get up bent out of shape. Right. And I, I see that too frequently, especially in my business, a small business that everyone takes it personally. Yeah. We want to get it done right away. This is my customer. I've got to get it ordered. Um, let's, let's tone it down a little bit. Um, and if we're calm and patient, I promise the customer is actually going to be way happier because again, like everyone's used to Amazon, right? Do you think Amazon gets your order and Jeff Bezos yells at someone and says, hurry up and order it. Like, no, <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't have the time for that. He makes three major decisions a day and the dude wears the same thing every day because he doesn't want to use up his decision-making power. Right. Uh, I think you've got to be really defensive with your energy as the owner nowadays, especially if you're someone like my pops who, you know, he's a bit older and he doesn't necessarily have the energy that he used to, but he certainly has a lot of knowledge and I value the heck out of that, but I don't want him wasting his time thinking about small fry stuff. I need him thinking about big stuff. I need him thinking about like, he listened to your podcast Tim, recently about uh, mission and values and, and, and right. And he was yep. like, that's a really cool thing. Like it got me really thinking. And I said, Oh, that's cool. Dad, rather than jumping down his throat and saying, let's do that. Right. I said, that's really cool. Um, would you mind taking a swing at writing that? And, and, you know, just, just see what happens. And he's like, yeah, I, I think I could. And then he starts writing out the values, right? He starts making the big decisions without even knowing that he's doing it at that point. Right. Like it's, you're kind of just like letting the business owner be the business owner and giving them permission to do it. Um, yeah. And I think that's been a big challenge is, is giving him the permission to, to be the man making the choice. Um, I think a lot of us are, you know, pulled to a side by all these other uh, fires that are burning when, you know, you and Grant are like, watch out for all these other fires that are burning, leave them burning, focus on the, the thing that matters yep. the most. Right. Um, if someone's screaming from the hilltops about some electric insert and they're upset about it getting delayed a month, we don't need to appease that person. They're going to live. Let's focus on the big deal. Yep. Yeah. That's really good. I, you know, as we round out here, there's a few kind of rapid fire questions I want to ask you and just get your take on. And this is the first one. What are your parents continuing to teach you? Uh, patience is number one. So I am, and I'm sure throughout this podcast, going to rub some people the wrong way. I tend to be a little bit overstated and get excited and have a lot of passion. Um, and I'm not going to like censor myself, you know, so that somebody doesn't get their feelings hurt. Um, so they've been really good at, at kind of teaching me how to censor my language um, and really my emotions more than anything. Um, I get really excited and upset and take things personally, which is why it's something that I've talked about not doing. Uh, and I think, you know, as a, as a family business, especially, um, they've taught me to, to kind of pull back and, and assess things from a less emotional perspective uh, and, and maybe try to think a little bit more clearly. That's so good. Okay. Next question. You came into a business that was moving full speed and there's been a lot of changes that, that, you know, and your parents have been a part of this too, but you've, you've really kind of been a, you know, a, a spearhead of change. How have you been able to execute on what you have coming into a business that's already moving at full speed? So there's a lot of employees that are already there that have been there longer than me that know more than I do, both about the product and the business. Um, so number one has been treating everyone as if they're my boss. Um, and, and learning from everybody, uh, that, that has been there for, for many, many more years, um, not having an attitude about what I can bring to the table and instead having an attitude of, of, of service. Um, I've tried to kind of get out of everyone's way and just help in any way that I can. Um, and because the business was moving at such a, a, a breakneck speed, especially last year, um, it really has been, how can I keep this train running? as we're moving forward. 
and writing stuff down, documenting process changes, and just kind of changing the general ebb and flow of the way that changes happen within the stove shop. Um, Regular meetings are important. I think that communication and consistent communication that your employees can rely on is really important. Um, I think setting expectations uh, for things like, when are you going to get off? You know, what are your vacation days look like? Like these things get forgotten during the busy season. And I think that giving employees and, and the business as a whole clear expectations and trying to just say the unsaid thing in the face of the world moving super quickly because it's October, um, that's been really important. So, I mean, truly saying thank you to, to each employee and to the people that have been around me that have taught me uh, and being grateful f- for them showing me how to do this because I wouldn't be able to help without them being willing to teach me how, to, how I can help. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'm, I honestly just stopped <laughs> just to think because I think that's really profound. The final question I want to ask you, I've been asking, I've been asking a lot of people this. I want you to finish this sentence for me. Sales is a game of expectation management. Oh, dude. Talk to me about that. It's all expectations. Your customer has an expectation and it's your job to manage what they think will happen. And that's from the beginning when you introduce the product to the end. I mean, you're solving a problem. They expect you to solve their problem. If you don't even know what their problem is, you're already screwed, right? They're going to be unhappy at the end of it. Um, I'm always thinking about, will you be happy with this? You know, like truly, are you going to, who are you? What do you want to get out of this product? Um, and, and what's going to make you smile when you're looking at it in five years? Because yeah, maybe you'll like it the first year. It's warm. That's fine. But like five years in, you're going to wish you bought that fire brick because it's got the anti-reflective glass. Right. And I'm thinking about that stuff because I want those customers to be happy. I want them to not call me again. Like <laughs> I want them to call, call me for service, but don't call me to, cause you don't like it. That's my fault. If you didn't like it, because I sold you something that didn't solve your problem. If we're all wishy-washy in the beginning and we're setting unclear expectations later down the line, they're going to be unhappy with that, especially if you haven't had them sign off on anything. It's just, you're, you're setting yourself up to have a crappy conversation later. Yeah, dude. Oh, that is so good. We could talk forever about expectations. Patrick, you gave us a ton of value and man, I'm just, I'm thankful to uh, just be friends with you and to just see everything that you and your family is is doing. So thanks for being on today. It is uh, truly an honor to Thank you. Well, I hope you guys got a ton of value out of that conversation. I've loved getting to know Patrick over the last couple of years. And, you know, he's someone that I look to now just as, as a young aspiring leader in this industry. You know, as we talked about imperfection, I, I think that this is one of the most important things that we have to understand as an industry. I've been actually writing about this lately in the Firetime magazine is that things have to happen badly before they happen well. There's just no other way around it. When you are learning how to do something for the first time, it's awkward, it's messy, and it doesn't work as well as you want. But continuing to do it again and again and again weeds out problems. I've seen this so often, and you know, sometimes when we talk to, to folks about Wi-Fi, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about how they really need to be using some kind of a customer dashboard CRM system to track all their sales opportunities. And sometimes people will say, well, you know, I don't know. 
it's just kind of double entry. Like I already use, you know, QuickBooks or, you know, whatever software system they use. I already use this to, to input all my sales. And I say, perfect. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Do you have a dashboard that your team can look at at any moment to track their opportunities, what stage of the funnel they're at, how good of an opportunity they are, and what they're going to be doing next to move that customer forward? Uh, no, I don't, I don't have anything like that. Okay. You know, do you have a way to be able to tell how many estimates per week your team's been writing up that's, you know, at any moment in time you have that information? No, I don't. Okay. You know, do you have sales meetings on a regular basis to, to kind of talk through the key metrics of your company? Well, no, I, I don't. You know, and, and my thing with that is like, well, you know, if you're saying, you know, this is going to be double entry, maybe, but it doesn't sound like you're getting any of that information. So it's like you either get the information or you don't. And over time, you know, you can work to streamline and build integrations and things like that to make it smoother and, and take away those friction points. But you've got to get started with something. If, if you're not willing to get started with something messy, it will never get better. So I think, I think what Patrick said about how, you know, that imperfection is needed. And to some degree, it's always going to be permanent because your vision of the future changes. So it's okay to jump in when it's not perfect. It's, it's safe for us to poke holes in things and it's safe for us to say, oh, that'll never work. It's, it's vulnerable for us to jump in and say, we're going to do this even though it's not perfect and even though it's messy. And I, I think that those words uh, are, are very wise and, and our industry, it would be good for them to, to heed that because yeah, you, you got to do it messy before you can do it well. As we rounded out and he talked about patience, this is something that I have really struggled with too, is my natural inclination is not to be patient. My natural inclination is to jump on things, to want change yesterday. It's never good enough. There's a better way to do it. And realizing that, you know, plants take time to grow. And when you're just watching that trickle of water move down the hill, it takes time for it to gather and gather and gather until it becomes a river. Patience is one of the most important things that, that we need to exhibit as we're looking to make change. Change doesn't happen instantly. And it's amazing how it's nothing, 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 nothing. And then all of a sudden, everything's different. And, and this is true, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm seeing this with different technologies in our industry, different things that manufacturers have in play right now, is that there's been change that people have been wanting to make for years, that all of a sudden now is just coming into fruition. But it's because for years, it's been growing under the ground. And as you're in a situation in your business, or maybe, maybe you're not an owner, maybe you're a salesperson, you're an installer, you're a service technician, I would just remember to stay faithful with what is in front of you because you know change can happen but it takes time and and there's an element of of patience with that but if you keep planting and watering and planting and watering you know if you're in the right soil it will grow it just might take longer than you think to round out when we talked about data and i kind of told that story from from earlier in the day it's so true you know our industry would really benefit from standardization we would really benefit from nice photography it sounds so simple but like you know most manufacturers in our industry have pretty poor photography you know sure it's a nice looking room but no one's in it the flames got this weird photoshop job 
and you know it doesn't really do anything um you know as as we've had our journey with the firetime magazine we've really tried to invest in our own photography wherever we can and just shoot pictures of people and families in front of fireplaces and you know i think that that showing happy people enjoying our products is the best way to sell them now as a manufacturer like we discussed it is it's honestly kind of crazy that many decorative fronts and and brick patterns and options and things don't have clear pictures in the fireplace you know that's something that you know it would never happen in another industry but these little things really make a difference and as we talk about data and, and spreadsheet formatting and things it sounds so boring but truly you know the manufacturers that have the cleanest spreadsheets and the most consistency with how they present their products and how their products relate to each other and how the accessories are are connected the companies that lay out the easiest are the companies that do the most business i mean i mean truly you know patrick mentioned hht and it's like from my perspective in wifi we see a lot of manufacturers price books as we input products and things into our system and i'll tell you man their stuff is so clean and so tight it is unbelievable the amount of precision that they've put into the back end of their business and you know there's plenty of other companies that have done a really good job too but i you know i thought it was interesting that that patrick pointed that out that he sees that at the retail level you know trying to get things updated and, and and put into their system so you know the way that we organize the small things of our business really affects you know the the way that that people interact with us even if it seems small so I thought there was just so much good stuff here and, you know, just listening to it, like the final thing I'll say is that it's funny that both him and David Rettinger in their interviews both mentioned treating everyone as if they're your boss. I think that that is really, really wise if you're coming into a business, especially a family business as the new generation. But I think it's true for anybody who is coming into a work situation where there's an established you know, pedigree that, that you're not a part of when you're trying to win that, that goodwill over. So I think that that humility is, is really, really big. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P A T R E O N.com slash it's fire time. And we will close today with Patrick's fill in the blank of what sales is. Sales is a game of expectation management. My goodness, we could talk about that for hours and it's so good. This week, as you go charging into it, I want you to think about that. Sales is a game of managing expectations. How are you setting up expectations and how are you managing them? If you can do those things, you're going to win. So hope you got a lot of value out of this week. I'm super excited to talk to you again in our next episode. It's going to be a really good conversation. So go out and have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn.